Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 369 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her friendships on this unlonely planet. Yeah, we have a terrific show coming up. Just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. And here's your reminder to click on the iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show. We love your feedback. I'll give you another reminder later in the show. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. So I'm cruising through the Wall Street Journal, kind of loving it again. And it was just at that time of year, early part of the year, when everyone was talking about the fact that they're lonely Um, I mean, if lockdowns for two years don't get to you, you know, you're not human. Um, And just the social isolation, the craziness of a world turned topsy-turvy, etc. And I happen to have uh, read in uh, this Wall Street Journal article a nice quote from our guest, Jillian Richardson, um, who is the author of The Unlonely Planet, How Healthy Congregations Can Change the World. Amen to that. So who is Jillian? Well, Jillian is a coach, best-selling author of this book and connection expert. What the hell is that? We're gonna learn very shortly. She's also the founder of something I love, The Joy List, a weekly newsletter of community-centered events in New York City. Oh, and you have so many other street creds, man. You are also a former improv, so I live for former improv. I just love that. So we're going to have a lot of fun, no doubt. So what I hear in the background is a... (laughs) Is a what? (laughs) I, I have this incredible two-bedroom apartment, and the one downside is it is across the street from the subway in New York City. I just love it. It's it's like I want to hop on. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> hold that damn thing. Um, I didn't know it's also so, you know, in the movies all the time, and in you know TV series, you always hear that subway, you know, and um, and I just love it. All right, that was a nice little uh, diversion. So, Jillian, why did you? get into this whole issue of, you know, loneliness and friendship? What was going on? Well, I think it's a classic case of the wounded healer archetype, how most people who become teachers teach something because they struggled with it in their own lives. And in my own family, like a lot of people, I came from a family that had its fair share of dysfunction. And in my family, that fun blend was some alcoholism, some mental health issues in my family. And so I didn't really have that foundation that taught me it was okay to be with my feelings. It was okay to be in my body. It was okay to share my truth. 
And so when I was an adult, that's when it became time for me to really learn those skills myself. And I was, I was just speaking at a hotel this past week and a woman came up to me and she said, you know, I think your gift is that you share all the things that you're unlearning. And that feels really true for me of kind of unlearning these stories of unworthiness and that I should hold everything in and I have to be perfect and just all of this stuff that we can be taught from our families or our culture. And that's kind of how I got here of being someone who's very much a made up job title of a connection expert. Oh, I just totally love it. You know, I'm a firm believer in MSU, make stuff up. Um, Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it's one of my favorite uh, peakisms. And, um, you know, there you have it. So I love this. Now, what what actually got you to write the book, though? What was going on? So the book I published three years after I started my newsletter, The Joy List. And The Joy List was started after, and this is this is a little political, but it started after Donald Trump was elected in the United States in November 2016. In my social circle, I noticed people were feeling really disconnected from each other. They were feeling scared. They were feeling kind of distrustful of their neighbors almost. And politics is not my strong suit. And I just kind of wondered to myself, where can I create spaces of connection? How can I let people know that it's possible to feel a sense of belonging in this moment? So I started a newsletter of spaces where you can go and be in community every day in New York City. And because of that, people started sharing their stories of loneliness with me. They started sharing, you know, I'm going through a divorce and suddenly it's like all my friends are on my spouse's side or my kids left for college and I realized kind of all my friends are mom friends and they're not real friends and who do I have left? And just people on all sides started sharing their stories to an extent where I kind of felt like I was being divinely called to have this as my purpose to work with loneliness and help people feel a sense of belonging. And I kind of thought, you know, how do people become an expert in something? (laughs) They write a book. And so that's what I did. No, yeah, that's right. Instant expert, add water and you just grow a you know, expertise. Actually, Mm -hmm. the book is fabulous. Uh, Quickly, just a quick digression. What was the improv piece of this? Oh, so improv I did in college into adulthood in New York City. It was something that I really, really loved. And if you've ever been around people who do comedy semi-professionally or professionally, you might notice that there's a lot of making fun of yourself and making fun of other people in a way that's not necessarily kind. And I just found it really interesting that it was, that was kind of the crowd I fell into was, was that kind of, Oh, I'm always poking fun at myself. I'm kind of making jabs at you. And so when I started this journey of finding a new kind of community for myself, I I dropped doing improv. And actually, only in the past few weeks have I found a new group of people to start doing improv with. Oh, you're kidding. Well, like, what kind of a new group? I'm dying to know. So these people, uh, there's two folks named Callie and Sean. Shout out to Callie and Sean, who they host a monthly party at their home in New York City that I went to 
and I kind of have this theory that the guests who attend a party match the energy of the hosts. Like, if you go to a party and everyone's kind of stuck up and pretentious, chances are the hosts are also a little that way. Like, that, these are their people. And at this party, I was struck by how open and kind and curious everyone was. And I just went up to the hosts and told them that. Like, hey, I would love to get to know you more because everyone here is super cool, which means you must be super cool. And just made it known that my intention was to be their friend. And we started hanging out. We started hanging out a lot. They have a lot of artist friends. And we were talking about how we could support each other as artists. And a few of them really wanted to try improv. And so we said, like, well, let's each of us facilitate once a month. We'll rotate facilitators and we'll just play with it and see see where it goes. Oh, my God. I just think it's a great idea. Also, you picked a different tribe and mm-hmm. so that's cool. And I love that. All right. Well, that just answers that. Um, and let's getting back to the book again. So what I loved about uh, the book was that it, it really drew upon your experience with this whole joy list and um, what was important to you. So, you know, the, the, the chapter titles themselves, like, let's, let's look at this one here, getting frentimate. I love that. Let's just get frentimate. What does that mean? So that draws from a phrase by author Shasta Nelson, who also writes about friendship and also specifically female friendship. I really recommend looking her up. She talks about frentimacy, like building intimacy in friendship over time and how people can have issues in that area of either you might be a person who you kind of overshare really quickly. You're telling people your whole life story when they barely know you, or you feel kind of a sense of distrust with people. Maybe you've been burned in the past. And so you don't share yourself and your friendship is missing a kind of crucial ingredient where you feel really safe and secure with each other. And so by friend to me, I mean kind of building trust, by being consistent with seeing each other and kind of sharing more and more deeply with each other as you get to know each other. I love it. I I absolutely love it. Um, The opening um, quote was from Virginia Woolf, which um, I just, you know, what can I say? Some people go to priests, others to poetry, I to my friends. And I, I thought that was absolutely, you know, beautiful. Okay, now, 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 um, you also noticed um, that there are a large number of people who needed help making friends. And you quoted that, you know, these women entrepreneurs at a conference you went to also confess that they have never admitted that to anyone else. Mm -hmm. Why? Why is that, Jillian? I think it's because it's not something that we think should be taught. Like, I love thinking about high school health class when we talk about uh, STIs and the importance of physical exercise and the importance of nutrition. And we say, like, these are skills that can be taught. And yet, at least in my health class growing up, we were never taught how to build healthy relationships. We were never taught that that's important to our physical health. And so kind of the unspoken message is 
if you're not good at this, there's something wrong with you versus this is a skill that we all need to be taught. I, I think that that is so friggin' valuable. Um, it's so interesting. There was a Harvard study. I'm sure you've you've uh, you know mentioned at some point, and that Harvard study was, of course, in men um, at the time. But what it was was a longitudinal study over many decades, um, looking at um, what happened to these guys in terms of morbidity, mortality, sickness, and death. Um, by their friendship networks. And I think this was actually mentioned in the same Wall Street Journal article. And in it, they basically said that uh, your morbidity mortality was tied into how many friends you had by the age of 50. Mm -hmm. and, and it was sort of like, you know, 50 is not a great time to be isolating here. And, and real friends, not just a bunch of coworkers and, you know, people you barely know, but I mean, friend, friends, people you, you run to, um, that type mm -hmm. of thing. So that I, you know, I think this whole importance of friendship, but you know something by the time, what, how old do you think many of these women were at that Baltimore conference uh, that you talked about? Were they kind of mostly middle-aged? It was interesting. It was a very diverse group of women. I'd say the youngest was women in their 20s and the oldest was women in their 60s. Huh. And in the book, I mentioned there were two women in particular who shared that they were struggling with making friends and actually were talking about the woman who was sitting next to them. Like they were talking about how they wanted to be better friends with each other, but they were too shy to say it. And I think both of those women, their, their daughters had left for college at the same time. And I'm guessing they were in their 50s. Wow, interesting. And it's also, I think, a myth, and you address this too in this wonderful book, that is just a snap. Snap your fingers, you got some friends. No problem. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, once you're younger, um, that it's so important to get across the message that it's it's like growing anything, a beautiful tree, uh, plants, whatever the issue. You got to nurture it, and you got to you got to do the work. It's work. You're going to have to show up when maybe you don't feel like showing up, but it's going to be important to that person, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that that is being taught. I I don't think I think it's another reason why so many young people are running into problems um, because they're depending upon social media to be a pal and and it doesn't work that way you need like real people in front of you to say the least so getting into this some of these quotes you you have here are just amazing um and the quotes are from you know women who've uh had issues um and and they're just being raw i never felt lonelier than when i was in bed with my ex-husband now my kids have left the nest and it's so hard for me to get out of the house and meet other people what is it that hard tell us what that journey is about i think it really depends on your personal context like for that woman my guess is she might have also been struggling with depression and Regardless of depression or not, something I find really interesting about how loneliness works in the brain is that the longer you are isolated, the more likely you are to perceive neutral social signals as negative social signals. 
And what that can look like in practice is say, for example, you, you really hype yourself up, you go to a party, you're feeling a little self-conscious and a woman just looks at you like there's nothing in it. She's just looking at you. Your brain might tell you, especially if you've been isolated for a long time, oh, she thinks my outfit is stupid or she wishes I wasn't here or she thinks I'm laughing too loud. Anything like that, because our brain's trying to protect us and it's really hypervigilant about kind of cues that say that we're not safe, when in reality, we're totally fine. So it's this kind of vicious self-perpetuating cycle if you're not aware of what's going on. Huh. Interesting. So um, I think the reality is like anything worthwhile doing in life, it takes work. Mm -hmm. And and you got to put some thought into it, a plan, some strategy, you know, something as simple as how about hanging out in places where you have a true interest. My favorite place, you know, since I'm so close to so many magnificent museums, is I love museums. I mean, you can't get enough of them. Um, and I'm also an athlete, so we go to that place too. Basically, what you're doing is identifying tribal members um, and maybe, you know, potential candidates for friend friendship. You just never, ever know how this all works. But, you know, you also have a chapter called Sharing with Strangers, and it begins with a, a really cool quote uh, by Alain de Botton, um, and it is, a city like London is sociable in a sense that there are people gathering in bars and restaurants, concerts and lectures. Yet, you can partake of all these experiences and never say hello to anyone new. And one of the things that all religions do is to take groups of strangers into a space and say it's okay to talk to each other. Wow. What are your rules for sharing with strangers? So in terms of sharing with strangers, I think it's really important to find a space where there's some sort of facilitated connection. And the most commonly known example is 12 step groups, because you get to show up in a space. There's rules and agreements for how you show up in that space, like what you talk about, what you don't, how you share for how long. And you get to see that so many people are struggling and so many people are struggling with the same thing that you struggle with. And th there's a pastor named Rob Bell who shares in one of his books, I think it might've been Everything is Spiritual, where in his pastor training, they recommended that he just go and sit in a different 12-step group every week to hear what people are really struggling with because it's so easy to chat with someone, have a more surface level conversation. And they say, you know, this thing's going well, this thing's going well. It's, it's not necessarily permission to share the real nitty gritty of what you're deeply struggling with. And then you go to a 12 step meeting and that same person says that they almost relapsed last night and they're not talking to their wife and just these these things that you wouldn't know if you weren't in that context with that person. Wow. Okay. So 
I love the idea of 12-step, by the way. Um, there are a number of groups like this out there, but I know 12-step extremely well because I've done a lot of um, uh, scholarly work in addiction. And um, I'm floored by the raw authenticity of what you hear in there, in these rooms. Mm-hmm. And it just sort of, it's, it's quite a mind blower if you've never heard it before. Um, and to have people working through the steps and, and talking about it out loud, saying, yes, I've, I've reached this level. I've, I've asked for forgiveness from all of these people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I actually think that's a brilliant idea. Um, the same thing, quite frankly, goes again with a lot of, um, <sighs> with a lot of other tribes. So say, for instance, in physical activity, I go back to that. Let's just say if you're, you're going out for your, your, your very first, uh, you know, training run and you've never really run before, and you're going to learn from, you know, a group that teaches beginners. I think one of the things that opens the door to friendship in many respects is just to be honest, to say, you know, um, I've always dreamed of doing this, but I'm not sure what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> like I don't yeah. know. You keep telling me one step at a time, and my you know my legs aren't going along with any of this. And <laughs> and then it's sort of cute, you know. Like if somebody does the eye roll and kind of walk off snarkiness, okay, they're like not a tribal member. But if someone starts laughing right with you, say, "Hey, girlfriend, you know I just did that, you know, only two months ago. I'm only two months into it, so you and I are kind of still fresh. And here, let me show you a couple things." Okay, now you've got a friendship that's starting to burgeon, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's cool. But it, you know what it is? It's just being yourself. You be you, I be me, you know, and somehow it's going to work out, right? And I think that a lot of people feel as though they have to be a bit pretentious because they're terrified. They lead with fear. What are they going to say? You know what I always say to something like that, Jillian? laugh my head off. I said, what's the worst that can happen? Seriously. So I go in and I say that. What's the worst? That can Every person there listened to me, turned their backs on me and left. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's just ludicrous when you actually say it out loud, but that's what you're fearing. They'll, you know, they'll completely. Does that make sense to you? What do you think of what I just said? Totally. I find it so interesting that what we're telling ourselves and is so human because we're trying to protect ourselves is if I say the things that I'm struggling with, if I say the things that I'm not good at, then people won't respect me. I won't belong. When in reality, the people who we really do want to connect with, the kinds of people who are suitable for really deep long-term friendship are the people who will hear that and lean in and respect you more because Really, like even in a work context, for example, I notice I respect people way more when they can say, oh, actually, I don't know what that means. Or, oh, no, I don't understand that. Can you say that again? Like those are the people when you talk about being yourself, I think that's a really great indicator of who is comfortable with being themselves. I love that. And also, you know, listening to you, um, it occurs to me also that it's important to be a phenomenal listener. You mm-hmm. know, some people just want to hear themselves talk. And, and those people, I usually run the opposite. I pull a 180. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I can't do this. You have to go now. Um, 
Whereas people who truly listen and then do reflective listening, like, let me get this straight. What you actually said was that you're pretty afraid of, you know, taking, you know, that first, uh, you know, route around the 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 running track and that you feel like maybe you won't finish it hey that's okay uh, i have no problems with that because i didn't finish it the first time either yeah <laughs> and now you're laughing you're connecting but you honored me mm-hmm. by listening you listened and you heard what i said you didn't hear what you wanted to hear and you didn't hear yourself yapping away you listened to me and that quite frankly, is one of the greatest gifts you can give anyone. Don't you think? Completely. The the act of reflective listening, like not interrupting while someone is speaking, listening deeply and reflecting back a summary of what they said. It's really powerful for friendship. It's powerful for work. And it's powerful in romantic partnerships. For example, I, I facilitated a workshop at this, this gathering for couples and I taught that skill of, okay, person A is going to share and then person B is going to repeat back what they heard. And this couple came up to me after. And to me, this is like a very obvious, simple exercise. This couple came up and they said, hey, Jillian, we just had the best conversation we've ever had as a couple because of that exercise. I love that. That is so And it's cool. so funny. I know. Because you just think how much they must have been not listening to each other to have that experience be so radical. I know. And and hopefully it was a wake-up call. It's like, damn, we're not even listening to each other. It's like <laughs> we're missing out on a whole universe here. This is like a Star Trek thing, man. Let's go to where no Truly. couple has ever gone before. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so in the book, you also talk about healing spaces, which you kind of already inferred, mm-hmm. which is, you know, when you go to a 12-step. But there are plenty of other places um, that you have also described that are really cool healing spaces. Could you just, you know, give us maybe one or two examples? Totally. And so I love thinking of healing spaces as spaces where you can feel free to really be in touch with the parts of yourself that hurt the most. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a painful, sad thing. Like an example I give is that in my life, I've had a history of anorexia. I was anorexic for around seven years. And because of that and other things, I felt really detached from my body. And I started going to a monthly dance party called The Get Down, which is a dance party where you don't use your phone. Most people are totally sober. And the first time I went, I just stood on the edge of the dance floor, looking at people like crawling around and making noises and just like doing their weird hippie thing. And I was like, these people are all on drugs. <laughs> I couldn't believe that anyone would be this way sober. I was like, there's no way. And I just watched and I left and I didn't even step foot on the dance floor. But something in me kept me coming back where I was like, there's something in this for me. And being in that space, it's funny because now some people know me as someone who just loves dancing and is super out there and dancing when 
inside, I still kind of feel like I'm, I'm shy and I'm not embodied because that's just the old story. I tell myself I've got way more time telling myself that. And these people only know me in this context and how just literally that is healing to say, Oh, I, I am a person who's in touch with my body and I am a person who can have fun and be silly and expressive in my body. Like that's a form of healing in itself. That's pretty major. I love it. And, and you're absolutely correct. So many people I think um, are dissociated. They're just walking out there and like a little bit on the zombie side and they're just plain dissociated. They do not feel um, as though they are whole and uh, they're just trying desperately to get through the day without feeling uh, more fearful than they already are because it's fear that wraps them up. It's the fear of your opinion, your judginess, um, your righteousness, your wagging your finger at me and all the rest of that. You know what I say? Screw all that. I be me, you be you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and just be authentic tell the truth and make it work. But most importantly, let's get back to friendships, hang out with people who really, really understand that with you. Um, And no one's perfect, but you know, wouldn't it be nice to have an authentic relationship that almost feels like putting on a, ooh, you know, pair of comfy slippers, you just slip right into that relationship and it just kind of low maintenance in many respects because you guys kind of, you know, figure it out for yourself. That being said, it's not like you want hordes at the door. You know, like, <laughs> wow, you're a thousand of my best friends. No, that's not where. Actually, how many friends does it take? This is so funny. This is something that I've really been thinking about in the pandemic because probably not surprisingly, as someone who I curate events every week, I host events, I talk about friendship. I know so many people in New York City. It's just the nature of my job. And I can really fall into the trap of like, oh, me and my 50 closest friends, when in reality, you can't maintain depth with that many people. And it's something that I'm still working through thinking about, okay, like you said, who feels like a comfy pair of slippers? Who's truly, truly believing in me, empowering me to be a better version of myself? Like I feel whole and seen with this person because what's really hard about that is it's not gonna be very many people. And especially if you're someone like me who loves having tons and tons of people around the realization that like, wow, maybe only two or three of those people genuinely feel that way. That's really hard to sit with. Yes. I hear you loud and clear. And, and you know something I'll bet everyone out there on the her podcast land can just sort of sit there right now and say to themselves, Oh my, you're absolutely right. When it gets right down to it, these three people are absolutely where it's at in my life in terms of just total BFFs um, and people I can rely upon, trust, um, and can have a lot of fun with. 
um, and and just basically just be with low maintenance. I mean, you know a good friend when you could sit in the same room, not have to say a single word while you're both reading a book. It's like, okay, that's a friend. Um, you don't have to be yapping. You don't have to be proving a point. You don't have to be doing much of anything. In your last chapter, Wrapping Things Up, which is a great title of a lap chapter. There it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm just loving it. You know, you talk about something you said in your subtitle, how healthy congregations can change the world. I love that whole word congregation. You know, it just kind of makes me feel, whoa, you know, and God knows in the world we're all living in right now, you know, congregations, uh, big collections of people who really want the best for the world. I mean, I, I'm praying to God that they'll be heard over, you know, people who are very different than that. So what you write here is what makes a community or individual resilient is not self-mastery or will. It is the quality, strength, and inclusivity of our relational bonds. Now, that was a quote um, from uh, Lucien de Maris. Okay, now, but then you said something that I just love. I hope this book inspires you to be a gatherer. People are hungry for connections everywhere you go. I love that. I want to be a gatherer, Jillian. Jeez. <laughs> I think that that is such a cool way to frame that. Where'd you get that? The word gatherer, I'm not sure, but I think it's it's really, I feel like it's one of the final steps in feeling a real sense of belonging in, in the place where you live is to think about, okay, how much more of a sense of belonging would I have if I brought together a group of women every month for a book club or a women's circle? Or what if I hosted an open mic night for artists because I want to meet more artists? Like These are the things that they take way more time way more energy, depends on how much bandwidth you have, but it has such huge, huge results in how connected you feel. Like an example in my neighborhood is there's three times a month, there's an open mic for artists in my neighborhood and they're always looking for new performers. And when I leave my apartment, there's this dude whose name is Maka Sunshine, the best name on the planet. Love it. Who sells coconuts and fruit. And I was chatting with him and he was saying how he's writing poetry and how he wants somewhere to perform, but he doesn't know. And I was like, oh, let me give you the number of the guy who hosts this open mic night. I'm sure he would love to have you perform. And so tonight I'm going to go to that show and they're all going to be there because we're all neighbors and we all want to support each other. And that was just the most wholesome, incredible feeling to have that happen. Oh my God, that is so cool. <laughs> I, I just, you know, and you know, it's such a win-win. You feel good about yourself because you mm -hmm. made the connection. You're reaching out to someone you know with possibly the coolest name on the planet. <laughs> and at the same time, you may be um, giving him a path to a brand new chapter in his life. And who knows where that'll lead. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you can never lead with fear. 
you got to lead with you know adventure and and uh, in many respects sort of a strategic fearlessness um life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all thank you helen keller um and that is a motto i use every day i just say hey you know again i go back to that hysterical what's the worst that can happen they all walk out every one of them not one is left you're just like well no you know and and you just you put it out there and you you do you and 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 you do the absolute best you possibly can which i think is really really awesome so tell everyone how they can learn more about you and how they can get this marvelous book unlonely planet yeah so the best way to find all the things about me in one place is my website which is thatjillian.com and i am that jillian on all of the social media things and if you also just want to find my book you can find it on bookshop.org you can find it at barnes and noble you can find it on amazon any of the places where you get your books excellent fantastic and again um it's spelled j-i-l-l-i-a-n so it's that jillian.com i i can't thank you enough for being on the her podcast um you have uh a lot going for you, kiddo. You've got a phenomenal articulate uh, voice, so I can clearly see you doing uh, improv and leading and being a leader. You've got a real strong sense of self. Um, you have a real passion for what you're doing. Kudos to you all the way around, seriously. Um, it's so great to know you. We'll probably nab you again. You'll become what we refer to as a repeat offender on my podcast. Um, <laughs> We're going to commit and, a crime together. Let's just do it. I mean, come on now. You know, what's, I don't want to waste any time here. But again, thank you so much for being on the Herb Podcast. Oh, it's such a gift. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And everyone, this is Jillian Richardson. The name of the book is Unlonely Planet. And you will never, ever forget this podcast because it's the only one I've ever done with the New York subway <laughs> as background music. Guest I mean, host. I'm just saying. I mean, total guest. Actually, these are you know, cameo, cameo appearances, or maybe I'm being, oh my gosh, podcast bombed by the uh, New York subway. Well, it, if it has to be a subway, it should be the New York subway. Yeah, what the best of the best. Totally. All right, everyone, run on over right now to iTunes and rate and review the show because we had that much fun. I want to hear from you. Why? Because I'm Dr. Pam Peek host of the Herb Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes, Radio MD, and all of the large platforms. Hey, listen, thanks for tuning in today. Stay safe and stay well. <laughs>